probably, honestly, the, the highlight of my life as a musician. And when I heard that, like, I almost broke down in tears. That phrase stuck in my head for years. I mean, just to hear it, you know, still, it, it kind of makes me a little emotional. Special's not the word I would use. It was okay. it's terrifying. Terrible. <laughs> An article in a Dutch magazine that was titled Clone Syndrome, right? And, and you were in it? Yeah, I, it was on me. Oh. Well, there, that was a very conscious effort, and I paid the price for sounding like Dave. The downside of, of getting a gig when you're young, you haven't really had a chance to... A lot of people who don't tour necessarily, who haven't toured, don't really realize that your job is to get to the gig and still. Motherfucker, you need to be here. You need to be here. You play, you sitting out there on your surfing board. <laughs> That's And he just lit into me about Cindy. And it's really what oh, he said. So but looking back, I think it was more my denial of, like, I got what I wanted and I wasn't really prepared to deal with it yet. And okay. I was still nervous about New York. And, and wow. I was touring with Michelle and I was like, I'm not, you know, it, it was a whole mental thing. At one point, this record company guy turns to Michelle and goes like, why didn't she use Weckle on this record? I mean, in general, for him to take the risk on me. Is there ever a moment where you were on the bandstand thinking, oh no, this could be my last gig because of something? Actually, yeah. It's January, it's the Winter Nam show. You braved it. I have no idea why. Well, it, yeah, it was, it was very last minute. And thanks to you, I was alerted to the fact that no one's there yeah. anymore. I Actually, I think... No, somebody in New York told me that Zildjian wasn't there. And when I heard, I didn't believe it. Right. And then when I heard it, <laughs> like, I, then I, I ran that by you. And you're yeah. like, yeah, nobody's really there. Nobody's Not nobody, Fender, but there. PRS, Gibson, yeah. like major companies. Yeah, it was, it was a little strange. <laughs> yeah. And I, I talked to people who were there like, they were like, this is my 39th year. I was like, holy crap. So you've really seen the full spectrum. Had COVID not happened, it would have been like my 24th year or something in a row. It was it was insane. It's... um. It has changed so much. Well, you know, ironically, like last night, this gig I did, um, Prudence Elliott showed up from Yamaha and Zach Danziger showed up, who I haven't oh, seen nice. in a million years. It does do that, right? It, yeah. You see people that you haven't seen in forever. Yeah. It does and sort of bring people together. Zach and I are always kind of like over the years. I mean, we've known each other since we're like, you know, 20 right. or something. And, and done a bunch of the same gigs. Yeah. 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 And uh we sort of reconnected and he showed up last night i didn't see him at nam but he came to the gig oh, that's and nice we event. just yeah was, that's uh, very new york yeah most la people will see you at nam and just bail on your gig right but to well, come to the gig is it's nice. it was thanks to prudence i i yeah. saw prudence and like you know i walked in and and no one expected to see uh, I, no one expected to see me there and except <laughs> yamaha got me a badge and oh, so wow. like i just kind of went and i saw you and i went straight to the booth i did a quick walk and then i just kind of split yeah but um yeah it's zach the reason i brought up zach is he said yeah i've gone pretty much every year and then the rap i got was like well 2020 changed everything and or the 
basically COVID changed right. everything. So a lot of people that that's, I guess when everyone started bailing like Zildjian and all that yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we were talking about Zach said, yeah, I've been there every year and I went yesterday for like 10 minutes and that's it. He's not wow. going back. And you know, yeah. it's, it's, it seems to have become like, it seemed to be like a legit, there, there used to be legitimate reasons for being there. Like product, product, companies they they went and did deals with distributors and mm -hmm. that was like it was a real thing now it seems to be like a social media 15 second video clip grab yeah for all the quote-unquote yeah. artists yeah it's, and you were only there thursday right thursday yeah for like four hours or something and apparently you know that's that's the lightest day i guess okay i mean prudence was telling me yesterday and she's going got to go back today i was even more amazing she showed up to the gig last i don't know how <laughs> she dedication. had the energy it was just <laughs> such a sweetheart she is it's it's yeah it's just it was already uncomfortable people wise that day it was right. like just but it wasn't as much of this is not politically correct thing to say but like the the halloween party that it usually is yeah that i didn't see as many i like, sent you that one picture of yeah. the pink thing and that, that's really true like nobody was really going out it used to be really halloween though dark black mm -hmm. metal mm -hmm. sort of thing like or a lot the, of leather yeah <laughs> or the flip side of like color i mean we used to i'm dating myself but i remember uh years ago we used to call it the hair convention oh like yeah. in the late 80s Absolutely. because it was like you know and and being from san diego like the big thing was oh can you get a pass to to get into nam right and we'd go up and see all these everybody looked like poison and right. all these bands and you know it was a different time but um you were playing with Tim Miller last night, mm -hmm. my buddy, since 20, too many years. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> uh, so great, man. It's such a nice guy. It's ridiculous, yeah, huh? Yeah. It's, it really bugs me that he doesn't like touring or really never plays live. Like, yeah. he goes down to New York, plays a gig, which you've done a bunch of. Yeah. We've done together yeah. also when I yeah. still lived in New York, when the dump was still around. Um, but no rehearsal. No, I mean... Uh, I was kind of flying on autopilot from previous gigs. Okay, so at and least you had played some of it. I've I've played some of it, and he sent all the stuff in advance, and and you know links to songs. And I yeah. read a couple of the tunes were Santiago's tunes, okay, were demos. So I, you know, and I I couldn't hear his count on one tune. I was really upset. I like came in on the second bar. Or something. Oh no! I still lose sleep over stuff like that, oh, dude. It's just you know, bugs. Haunting, me. right? Yeah. Well, okay, so what's the earliest memory of the oh shit moment? Do you have one? Um, there Going are way so back. No, 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 no. I don't want to get in, like. <laughs> I mean, I, I, to, to pinpoint one would be tough. Okay. Um, is there, uh, we'll put it this way. Is there ever a moment, of course, we all have tons of oh shit moments, right? Mm -hmm. We all fuck up and do this, that, and the other. Is there ever a moment where you were on the bandstand thinking, oh no, this could be my last gig because of something? Actually, yeah ah. this this well it wasn't on the band it was in the studio it was the oh. first record i did with michelle camilo okay and it was like my first sort of i knew it was going to be my first sort of mark on the scene right and i was probably like 21 years old or 20 <laughs> and it was at clinton oh, which is yeah. long gone now. Right, right, right but i just remember that that he to his credit he had you know insisted that i do the whole album and nice. this is back in the days when it was like the record companies were like no you call so and so the, get was, a name yeah, get and, a name yeah, and all right. that. And, you know they, which they still do i would imagine now sure. but i was like you know kid i just got the gig and he said no nah, you know you're doing the whole thing and then that's nice i it was <laughs> great for him to do that yeah. and take i mean in general for him to take the risk on me 
you know, looking bad, it's a whole other thing we could go down. Right. But um, I remember being on that session and there was a record company guy in there and we hadn't rehearsed that much and some of it was reading and some of it was really heavy, like kind of difficult. Yep. And I went back on playback, I'm listening. And at one point this record company guy turns to Michelle and goes like, why didn't she use Weckle on this record? And I'm sitting there going like, you know, and I probably just moved to New York. And you're a in few the months. room. Yeah. He's oh. saying this in front of me in the room. And I'm already, you know, nervous. Yeah. Playing, you know, sure. it's like, so that that's when I thought that. You wow. Know. Uh, it didn't. Crazy that it wasn't from a musician. It no. It wasn't like the band leader gave you a look and you're like, uh-oh. No, but I mean, I've had plenty of those too. I've had... Um, I'm trying to think of like any names that did that off the top of my head. I can't, but I, I just remember that feeling thing. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's it. I'm not going to get called back for this. And then do you remember the <clears throat> point where it crossed over where you're like, I don't care. I'm totally prepared to be on the plane tomorrow. Like, you know, that feeling where you're like, I'm okay without the gig. That was about, yeah, that, you know? that was, I mean, you definitely start to arrive after a certain amount of time you start to arrive at this sort of take it or leave it thing yeah. like it doesn't mean you don't try it doesn't mean that you don't care sure. But, sure but you get to this point where like like you know if this doesn't happen then and you put up your own boundaries and your mm -hmm. own things that you're willing to work around and most of that for me these days a lot of times is business related because right. i won't i won't say yes to something even if it's great unless i want to do it right I mean, great business-wise. Sure, sure, like, sure. I've, I'm still trying to, I still try to maintain the whole thing of like, I don't, if I don't want to be here, I'm not going to do it. I don't care what it pays or any of that kind of stuff. So, and having started early, like you say, you're in the studio with Michelle, 20, 21 years old. Like, how long would you say that was? Was that like a decade of grinding before you were like in your 30s and like, all right, back off? You know, I'm good. I think probably mid. 30s okay is is where i started to kind of feel that it but i had a sort of re-establishment period for myself in, in my mid-30s because i i i have a different trajectory than a lot of people did mine kind of i i got this great gig when i was young right moved to new york but then you then moved back to san diego i moved back to san diego yeah. because i'd started dating this girl that i liked and i was too which that sounds stupid but it's actually I was, not such a uncommon trajectory right people end up in all kind of different places around the world yeah i, I mean <laughs> because but that. looking back i think it was more my denial of like i got what i wanted and i wasn't really prepared to deal with it yet and okay. i was still nervous about new york and and wow. i was touring with michelle and i was like i'm not you know it, it was a whole mental thing and then you i was ready to like no and i i was established camp in new york yeah okay and i was really kind of shy and I, I was just not comfortable and i'm not the most social person in general <laughs> and at that time i was just like and I, you know i would go on the road with him and i would meet people and in Europe or whatever, and they'd say like, "Where do you live?" And I'm in New York. You're in New York. I've never seen you on any. <laughs> That's because I'm, you know, I was kind of like this. Yeah. So I moved back there, and then I started working out of San Diego, and I got this gig with Manhattan Transfer, and they were touring all the time. Right. And I realized whenever I was done with them, I'd come back to San Diego. I wouldn't really have a place to play. Mm. I had kind of set, you know, I bought a house there. I'd set roots there and right. have a studio in it, but. Then I started gradually coming back to New York and seeing people play. And like, I hadn't even met you yet. Yeah. And I think we met, I, well, like mid 2000s, right? Something like, like that. 20 yeah. years ago almost. 
but I, I mean, I think when I was like 34, 35, yeah. I did a gig in New York and, and a big band gig with, with Camila. Okay. And Horacio showed up. Hey. And we... Okay, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he was, you know, in his heyday at that time. Like he had 90s, really, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and he showed up to the gig and Dennis Chambers was in town and... Robbie Gonzalez, who I don't know if you know Robbie, yeah, yeah. he's the sort of the great of collaborator of everyone, yep, the mayor yep. of New York. Said, "Oh, let's hang." So he, he, you know, oh, Dennis is staying at so and so. So we ended up in one of those horse carriage things in Central Park. In Central Park no. at about two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> all drunk with Dennis and Negro. Yeah, it was Dennis and and Negro. Negro had had finished Santana's gig, and and Dennis was there with Santana. Oh, that so they're did. trading stories about that. Wow. And we're in the back of this carriage, and and at with one, Robbie as well. With Robbie, <laughs> and I think there was one other uh, friend of ours that was there, and we're talking about all this stuff. And Negro actually, this is what he does, and I don't think he knows this, but this is what actually made me come back to New York. One of the main reasons he turned to me at one point, and he said, "Like." man what the fuck are you doing in san diego and i said well i have a you know house and blah 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 motherfucker you need to be here you need to be here you play you sitting out there on your surfing board that's and he just lit into me about san diego and it's really what oh, he said so, your and surfing board yeah your surfing board <laughs> you know you need to be playing with this and that and your yeah. what about your talent right like i mean he really and it, and I swallowed that I and I went home and I thought I have to figure a way to get back here and then I did. So he had already done Camilo before you. Yeah, he did. Did he go Weckl Negro or the other way around? Negro to Weckl to you? No, it was I. It was Weckl Joel. Oh, Joel Rosenblatt. Yeah, I got it. I think Zach Danziger did it. No for, kidding. For, yeah, oh yeah. When he was like eighteen, he did Jeez. it. There are tapes of it. He's for like he's eight minutes. Like how that did last? No, he did couple of years and then his oh, wow. thing started to take off or right. maybe i don't know i should have asked him about that i was just texting with him this morning actually i was texting with tim this morning oh yeah that, that must have been the boomish years right when they were doing all that i i'm not together. sure the timeline but i would imagine yeah. yeah or getting into that scene in new york like mm -hmm. late 90s yeah wow so zach and then i did it and then after me I think Negro was because I was started doing this Manhattan transfer thing. Negro started doing it. Right. Then they did the Kai Fifty Four thing and all yep. that with Anthony and that trio did stuff. And I would periodically sub. And then after that, it was Daphnis. Oh wow! Okay, I believe. And then after Daphnis, I did it again. And then it's just started turning into a bunch of different people. Like after that, I think after Daphnis, it just turned into kind of a mishmash of different people. And he was doing, Michelle's doing a lot of like symphonic stuff. Right. The, and when you things. did One More Once uh, and Marvin played on half the record, did he just play in the studio or did what, what did Smitty do? Smitty had done, oh, actually when I moved to New York, Smitty had played, when I first got the gig, Smitty had played on part of, of the record that right. we were touring. Oh, okay. Um, just on a couple of tunes. And so he did some periodical things. But yeah, he's on half the Big Ben record. Right. So, uh, yeah. This is, so we're here in my home studio. I'm so extra paranoid that I don't see enough of a signal yeah, going I was gonna into say. the... But it's good, it's good. I, I see it, it's recording. Ah, yeah, no, we're good. We're totally okay. good. All right. I just did one of those things, like we get to an end of an hour conversation and it's just... Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking redlining. Wow, so uh, that's, that's kind of crazy. That so, did you know Dennis already before that? 
like what was your exposure like obviously it's quite well documented i know you've talked about it before your relationship with dave with dave weckel and going to the clinic in san diego and sitting down and playing along to his backing tracks is, is the awesome stories that they're, they're out there in terms of other guys in that in like in the terms of the vinnies and the dennises and those guys they're like the next generation right they're similar age to dave they're sort of in that class yeah right? i mean when the the guys when i sort of locked into dave's thing like dennis came on the scene so to speak yeah. around that time to where he turned into a huge guy Vinny had been an idol of mine f forever right and so my three guys were dennis Vinny, and dave right I didn't really get to know. I I, I still don't know Dennis very well, but okay. he's he's a, you know you know him better than me. He's a really yeah. sweet guy. Okay. I've always he's been the a, greatest. Yeah, like, I've always funniest, totally coolest, funny, you know, just a great hang. <laughs> I mean, my first recollection of having any interactions with him was. I mean, this is how I kind of met everybody. I, I Dave recommended me for that. I still didn't even know him that well, but he's turned into a big brother figure. Right. And then all of a sudden I'm on this gig and then you're on the festivals, right? So that's the hang. Yeah. Ah. So then I, I got, there was a festival in Japan called the Madara Festival. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> I've seen videos. I mean, I wasn't, uh, right. I wasn't even playing bass back then. <laughs> we, we were, that place was like, it was a giant ski resort in the middle of the mountains. Right. And and the the joke, for lack of a better, is not maybe politically correct to say now, but the joke was it was the jazz concentration camp. Oh wow! Because it was so <laughs> away from everything, but and, densely populated with the greatest. Yeah, well, yeah. well, you would show up there in the summer. There'd be like seven bands. You were all staying in the same hotel. Right. So I I think that's when I kind of met Dennis. He was with Bob Berg and Stern. Oh and, yeah, and Lincoln. Friday night the Cadillac yeah. Club years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so wow. I remember playing and looking over and here's you know my first trip to japan here's dennis chambers on the side of the stage <laughs> yeah right it's just like and he loves to do that as well oh yeah he loves to mess with yeah, people yeah man. whether it's on stage as a bass player or whether it's like yeah well just check, standing there with the crossed arms check and, check yeah. this one out and he and he'll probably he'll still tell this story when i see him i'm surprised he remembers it but that hotel had a, a ledge outside the windows of the rooms. Mm -hmm. It was like this sort of thing that Dennis somehow figured out that um, everybody's rooms are right next to each other. At some point, Mike Bowie, the bass player who was mm -hmm. playing with Michelle, knew Dennis from Maryland area, whatever. Um, somehow Dennis had gotten out on that thing, walked over and found my room when I wasn't in there, got in my room, took my shoes right before dinner basically stole them and all of a sudden maybe i was in the shower i don't know I don't, this is very foggy wow. but it's a great story because my shoes were gone i was like this little nerdy kid and they were about to have a, a, a like a first welcome dinner and <laughs> it's the I'm barefoot like, drummer <laughs> right and i'm looking where are my shoes and mike's right next to me and i know mike yeah. i'm like mike where are my shoes he's like i don't know where your shoes are yeah. man. and he knew the whole thing but like, who took my shoes he's like you know, just ducking it. And it came out later that Dennis had done it. You know, Mike went and told Dennis. Yeah. Then I opened up my front door and my shoes are sitting. Yeah. yeah, it's like, that's Dennis's sense of humor, right? Oh, totally. He's uh, yeah, he's the king of stories and the king of pranks as well. Yeah, yeah, hilarious. Great to be on tour with. Yeah, he, he is. He's, he's really something. And he's, 
all these guys it's like i i feel really lucky that i mean you obviously you feel lucky you get to meet any of your heroes that yeah. you grew up listening to yeah. let alone play with them right. it's just like but um i was really lucky that all those guys were really friendly and supportive and and playing wise too like it's like uh, you know this isn't happening right. you're too heavy on this or whatever who was I, I maybe can guess who who this was, but for our listeners, who was the most direct with you about like this is working, this isn't? It was, there are a few different guys. Dave, obviously, Dave. Right. You know, um, you know, as as much as I was a fan of Vinny, I've I've only met Vinny one time. Oh wow! I don't I don't like at a know if he's or even, something. Like, I no, I went to see him somewhere and I introduced myself to him and, oh, cool. and but I you know I didn't know if he knew anything about me or, yeah. or you know any I still don't and uh, I'm the same know. I haven't I've met him once and I was yeah. booked on a record date with him March twenty third twenty twenty so we all know how that went right so the record date was canceled I was one week out from making a really nice right. record with him right. so wow okay well so I mean but but in, to answer your question it was usually Dave also like I gotta say like the the guys who were kind of schooling me who were nice enough to include me in and kind of school me on the latin stuff oh yeah giovanni oh. um giovanni hidalgo yeah negro these guys like like i you know i was paranoid i'm a white surfer kid from san diego i'm right. trying to play latin music right. i don't know what i'm doing well, yeah, was, you didn't go. yeah mama <laughs> and i you know and i was nervous about that and but i was such a fan i yeah. just i was willing you know just tell me anything right, and right, they right. they did and yeah. that was really nice of them to do that but no one was ever really michelle was pretty direct okay. about stuff he would he would be really he's he's known for being really hard on drummers so he seems to be one of those band leaders or artists that wants it a specific way. Well, he does, and he was also dealing with you know a kid from San Diego who didn't really know. It's like right. I literally went from playing weddings and club dates to playing with him, and he would do little tests on stage. Oh, yeah? Like I remember there was some piano break, and he went da 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 da, bombeiro, right? Which I didn't know salt oh, peanuts enough okay. would be there you a 19 go. I, w I just played a fill after right. that and after we got off stage just, why didn't you answer that with dude did it <laughs> it was it was months of that kind of stuff wow. and he was right interesting know? so i something i always try and hammer home to anyone who's listening or anyone who's engaged with what i do from an educational standpoint or at clinics is something is there's one thing money can't buy which is experience which is like time in the room you know like be you're like you, I come from, I think, from a generation where we were very fortunate to be in the room. Mm -hmm. And it seems like now it's very much in, in, it's in a room, but it's in the bedroom, <laughs> you know, yeah. in front of a video camera and with a bunch of apps and the internet and YouTube mm -hmm. and all this stuff. Um, what is your, first of all, do you listen to new music? And what is your impression of that versus your vast experience of 35, however many years of professional experience you have from the past until now? Well, I sort of have a philosophy on stuff related to music. Like I've always felt that music was sort of this, obviously any art is a socially conscious kind of element, right? right? So there are trends that come and go and things like that. And the development of the art over the course of time is going to correspond with those trends. And those trends are going to, span off into a lot of different things right. so like drumming example like drumming with the cymbals on the snare drum and all the things on the hi-hat and the snare drum on the left and tuned down all that kind of stuff these are all things that people start you know sort of adapt 
and bring in and then the music develops and then people start writing around it and all that kind of stuff so yes i try to uh, i try to listen to everything i look at instagram a lot if i see something i like i'll save it mm-hmm. and if i'm practicing i might try to incorporate it but the philosophy thing is that like i have a certain background like we all do mm-hmm. Developing a voice means that you're constantly incorporating things into that voice. Right. You're trying to have your own voice, but not get dated at the same time. And I think that's dangerous to to get dated because of the socially conscious thing. So basically having a balance of updating what it is you're listening to and assimilating. And also too, like I try to, I construct a certain time frame around things like I'll, I'll go through periods where I'll, I'll okay like this month I'm going to focus on changing something or just something I don't know what it is yet I'm just going to look I'm going to try to incorporate something that I can't do that's popular now right right like Zach and I were talking about this last night there just happens to be this thing with a lot of drummers now just these unbelievable singles in each hand right. so you'll you'll hear dun, dun, you know my hands i've never incorporated that so okay. now i might try to do that dun, dun, da, digga, digga, dun, da, oh, yeah. digga, stuff like that sure. you can work thing and if you, what happens if you do that is it starts to turn into different offshoots like things will appear in your head and then you then it just expands right so that's kind of how i approach it interesting how much um <clears throat> how much liability do you think you have from the past? Like how how like it's it's amazing that you were so into Dave, but sound nothing like Dave now. Well, that that was a very conscious effort, and I paid the price for sounding like Dave. Oh, okay. You mean in the beginning? Yeah, I okay. mean you know this is the sort of downside of doing something. I think so. Looking back. Yeah. Um, the downside of, of getting a gig when you're young, you haven't really had a chance to develop your thing right. yet. I got the gig with Michelle because I sounded like I was going to say, there's a reason and, you're on the gig. Yeah, right? and yeah. He, he, li- he told me, he said, like, I had the, the so-called subdivisions together. The grid, which, right? Yeah. yeah, the grid thing was really a big deal. It was, it was still kind of new at that time. Mm-hmm. But it, the tide was turning, like more people were getting into playing straight ahead, which is a looser thing. It's the sure. opposite of that. Um, that's basically, I think, why I got the gig. Then I had to like deal with the, the you know, the magazines, right? This guy's a, a, a clone of Dave. And right. there was a, an article in a Dutch magazine that was titled Clone Syndrome, right? And, and you were in it? Yeah, I, it was on me. Oh, no. And I remember... <laughs> Like, and it was all in, you know, it, it was in different language. Yeah. I'm looking at it and I saw it. I said, does this say clone syndrome? And here wow. I had sat with this guy for like two hours and had a conversation at North Sea. Oh. And and I remember like, okay, well, I, I wanted a ticket into the show. And so here I'm in the show. So this is what it is. Wow. <laughs> so then. So you just found the cost. You just got the bill. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> I got the bill for that. And then I started. Um, realizing that this whole socially conscious thing, okay, so this is constantly morphing into different things. What's the next thing going to be? And I got kind of attached to that sound because I had worked so hard on that sound. And 
then when I, I ironically, when I had moved back to San Diego, I kind of got out of it. I was still playing gigs, but I wasn't like immersed in music other yeah. than making a living. Right, the right, right. Manhattan transfer gig was cool, but it didn't require like soloing a lot and all right. that. Um, and I started visiting New York and then I started, then Negro showed up and then I started hearing about, you know, Carlock and Mark Giuliano. I started okay. going and I was watching these guys play when I would visit town. I thought, I can't sound the way that I used to sound. I've got to incorporate some of this. How do I do that? Right. And I moved back to, I thought part of it is moving back to sure. New York and I just watched and I started anything I could take, I would try to incorporate in and then I gradually changed it. But up to that point, I still, I mean, I still, to me, like I listen to tapes, I still, I still hear the, the traces of the Dave thing and nothing wrong with the Dave thing, but it's Dave. Right, right, right. You know? so, Which is crazy because as long as I've known you, you have never played that way. So there yeah. was this whole like 10 or 15 years before that, which was more in that scene. I must've mm -hmm. got you like right after that conscious change. Yeah. And playing. I mean, well, it was, I was developing it when we met, but and a very different tuning as well. Different the tuning tune, setups, yeah. like really like, I tried. Yeah. I really, whatever. And Keith had a lot to do with this because I remember we practiced in the same studio and Robbie Gonzalez's oh. studio. Everybody went through their right, Smitty, right, Daphnis, right. everybody. So Keith was in there before me, you know, and, and, he would tilt the snare drum up and do his whole thing. We practiced on the, the same kit. kick drum. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I actually had a conversation with him at some point. I don't know if he remembers this, but it seems to me he said something about like intentionally moving stuff around just to try to come up with something different. Uh -huh. So he was kind of in the same ballpark. Like okay. he was conscious enough of the fact that to get your own thing going, you, you have to do some things almost opposite you have to think in opposite like put yourself out of your comfort zone physically speaking physically and also like if you, like and i'm kind of like this with life in general now like if if uh if i see something on youtube like it could could be politics or anything yeah. i i if if i can't stand what that person is saying or i get like that guy's an idiot i force myself to listen to it mm. just to make sure that like i understand because I don't know, none of us knows everything, right? right? So I'm, I'm. That's kind of my philosophy. With so you don't let things. your personal opinion get in the way, or your personal taste get in the way of experiencing something new. Or I, I try not to. Right, right. I mean, it's a constant fight, sure. and you get set in your ways. And I think it's, it's really, it's dangerous musically to get set in your ways because it's yeah. things change constantly, Absolutely. and there's too many great, especially with the internet side. It's just. A million great players all over the place right somebody has something to offer you yeah and what's the what's the melting pot situation now i mean since the 55 bar closed in new york that was like one of the biggest tragedies of jazz in the last 20 years it's like when yeah. i think about i moved 2000 to new york and it was just like until 9-11 it was non-stop mm -hmm. like especially if you set the 55 bar as your center your ground zero and there were like 12 clubs within 10 blocks on a monday night you could go see eight life-changing gigs mm -hmm. i don't see that existing so much anymore or the regularity of like i can't count the number of gigs i played on a weekly basis just with stern mm -hmm. at the dump mm -hmm. and how we got to develop things over and over and over again and making these micro changes to our approach doesn't seem like that is such an option anymore well yeah i think you're there i'm not so i'm curious. well yeah now 
I, I really don't know. I don't see, I mean, I'm sure there's a scene of the younger players that is developing or has developed in that similar to that. Yeah. But I think that you and I basically got the last sort of ride, um, of that particular set of events, thing, obviously. Yeah. And, and when I moved to New York, it was even bigger than that. There were more clubs. Oh, sure, yeah. People were playing, you know, you could play seven nights a week with anybody yeah. all over the Jojo, place. Jojo, he told me, he said, yeah, man, I moved 1992 and I was 40 years too late. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. Like, well, when you look at it like that, yeah. Well, that's what everybody was telling me. Like the first time I played Street, with- Yeah. Coltrane, Cannonball, Miles, all on the same night, you know. There's that. And I mean, and also there's a whole session scene, like when the I- Loft scene. When I got there at the end of the, I think I got there in like 1989. Mm. And I, the first time I played with Anthony, I remember after the set, he turned and said, like, you're about eight years too late. <laughs> he said, eight years. He's like, yeah, if you'd have been living here in the early 80s, you'd have been working constantly. You'd be recording constantly. And then, sure enough, I met through him. I met, like, John Trapay and mm -hmm. all the old school, Will, all the Studio old school guys. cats that yeah. did. I mean, it was a couple sessions a day. Yeah. And then gigs at night. It's just, that's what we no, all wanted. Stop. You know, that's why everyone had a $10,000 a week cocaine habit as well. I think <laughs> <laughs> that and, you know, houses on the shore and, um, yeah. Yeah. I remember Randy telling me like he bought his house in the Hamptons 40 years ago. It's mm -hmm. like an insane amount of time ago because mm -hmm. they were just so busy. And he was always like, I never really wanted to be a touring musician. There's Randy Brecker who's on the road 300 days a year. Yeah. I never really wanted to be a touring musician because I had so many studio gigs. Yeah. Mike Brecker had a crash pad in Manhattan, even though he lived up in Hastings. Right. Because he just, I'm not going home tonight. I'm back in the studio in eight hours. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, a whole different era. Like, and, and I'm I'm lucky that I got to see a little bit of it. Did you catch the radio registry era? I heard about it. I, I was not involved. That, that was an Anthony thing he used to talk about. Yeah. I remember radio registry and... and <laughs> And Gordon For anyone Gottlieb, who doesn't like know what that is, it was a service that you would call into where somebody managed your schedule. For then you'd call in, I don't know what time of the day it was, in the morning, and mm -hmm. they would say, yeah, well, 10 a.m., you've got to be at CBS, you've got to shuck a Khan single, then you're going to do a Burger King commercial, then it's Elton John in the afternoon, and mm -hmm. they'd give you four sessions, and away you'd go. Like, Yeah. And, and for drummers, uh, you know, all the all the drums were mic'd up in the studio. Right. So you just walked in and played. You right. better read yeah. correctly there was no fixing that's that's the part that i think is really kind of sad now that it's 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 a diverse e skill level yeah, yeah i mean like i have uh i know some people in new york who have been on like some younger players that have been on sessions like out here for films and things like yeah. that like, man it's it's really hard you they're know, saying like, that it's really yeah, hard. like and and wow. some of them are like you'll you'll see one or two that are that are hard but a lot of times it's like you have the opportunity to fix stuff right. you know drummers right. drummers couldn't always fix stuff in the past like we were the ones that had to lock it yeah because you're in the same room as the orchestra maybe yeah and, and there were yeah. stories of i remember in music school i was hearing stories about Vinny doing direct to disc recording <laughs> and and a whole band you know and you couldn't stop right so it's like and you're reading yeah i mean just that learning to operate under that level of pressure is significant and yeah. it does a lot for your confidence and everything else yeah always. what little i saw of the end of the era we're talking about now with sessions and the very few jingles i ever did i loved the pressure 
Mm -hmm. I really dug it, you know? I think maybe that's why I was a little crazy when I was writing all that music for us in Argentina. I was like, mm. come on, man, we're just, just fucking going to do it. Yeah. You know, like real musicians. And we were in one room. I right. loved that. Yeah. You know, there's no, no, everything's in the piano. So yeah. all the drums are in the piano. You either make it or you don't. You yeah. Know? Uh, there is this sort of odd, sort of torturous pleasure from yeah, having done your homework, being forced into that situation and seeing if you can operate. Totally. I love the challenge. It's something... I mean, there were moments on that session a few months ago where I, I was like screaming into the fucking void because I wasn't making shit and I'd written it, you know. It's like, Me too. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, but but that's what it is. I mean, then you're finished with it and you have this odd sort of cathartic, like I did something kind yeah. of feeling. I mean, that's, that's the meaning that we all kind of need, right. I think, you know. And that's something that, that's what I mean. If you don't, learn to operate like that you're never going to get the benefit of really knowing what that feels like and i think a lot of musicians now because everything's fixable right you know you're not in cutting and pasting i yeah. mean forget it like we never had that opportunity i have i have this new series on my channel called called could i play bass with and now with mm. ai i can take the bass part out of uh, I, I just did christopher cross sailing Oh right? wow! And i forget who the original bass player but you can just take the bass part out mm -hmm. and shove it in logic and re-record wow and my thing has been learn the song, learn the song in under half an hour, some, something like that you can learn in five minutes, but I've some animals as leader stuff, some metal stuff, like really, you've got to learn this, like the, the maximum is an hour. That's it. No matter how hard it is, you've got to learn it. And then I've got to record it in one take. That's the thing. And it's just me here. I'm obviously sharing it on YouTube, but it's just me here in my studio trying to force myself to be in the position once a week that I probably would have been four times a day, like you said, 30 years ago yeah you know as an exercise and nobody seems to even know about that almost it's not it's yeah. not like it's not taught or not done it's just that people aren't aware that like that's actually a part of the process well it was it was i mean when when i was growing up in san diego there was a company there called network music okay that my, my brother's a violinist he had grown up playing strings on a lot of these things in the in the orchestras there and um, they had some pretty major accounts. They had like the 1984 Olympics, like the Bud okay. commercials and things like that. So was, they were Jingle House or Production yeah, it was House? Jingle for, House, yeah. and and they had done some film stuff. I think they did part of Cable Guy there or some okay. other things. Um, uh, I ended up in my 20s, late teens, early 20s, before I moved to New York. New York, and then when I came back they would do these jingles all day and they just have a stack of charts like this. And you got to play on them? Yeah. Oh, and we wow. would just go in and then just blow through the stack of charts and you got an <laughs> hourly rate. And a lot of it ended up just as library stuff. And right. I remember I did one of those when I was playing with Manhattan Transfer and I was in Indonesia and I turned on the TV in the hotel and one of those tunes was on there. I was like, wow, this is where this stuff ends up. You know, it was right. like background music to the video stuff. Yeah. They were selling some whatever. But this is, if you did that enough, and the other thing too is that there's something about being in the studio and maybe now because of home recording, people are like this too, but that, it wasn't just like playing live. When, yeah. when you went in the studio, it had to feel right. You had, there was no, no mystery. You know, you yeah. went and listened to playback. It, it was doesn't lie. Right. No. You can forget a gig, but you can't forget a session. Right. And that's how you learn how to place things, right. usually. And the, it, the thing that always amazed me, is specifically about drummers, actually, was the velocity at which you play a song. Like, you're playing two... You're playing, first of all, I think, 
I don't know if you agree with this, but you're playing the microphones as much as you're playing the drums, if not more. Would you agree with that? Depend. Ter- yeah, like it, how much you push against it in, ter- in terms of how much consistency you get on a on a track, like especially a commercial track or a pop track or something like that. That usually, to me, revolves around the style. But yeah, okay. like uh, like I'm yeah, I, not on a jazz thing or a super dynamic right. thing, but like on those like when you're doing four sessions a day and it's Shaka Khan, it's Rod Stewart. Oh right, a, you know what I mean, like that super consistency thing when i think of like jr robinson mm-hmm. or vinnie or, mm-hmm. or any of those guys i was exposed to it with a guy called ian thomas in sure, the uk yeah. yamaha studio dude mm-hmm. and just watching him i was like damn that's so consistent yeah like watching it holy crap and then if there they were rarely ever more than one take but when there were two or three takes you're like it was so the same yeah every time you're like god damn dude yeah, I that, think that what becomes, a discipline. It's a discipline, but it, it and it becomes instinctive. What what was interesting to me is like I I would see that in tape, right? Or not see it, but I would hear it on yeah. tape. When Pro Tools came around, I could actually see the audio. Oh yeah, so I would the go in forms. and I'd look at my snare drum, and if it was doing that, it's yeah. like nope, you know, or kick or whatever. Right. And then I would kind of unravel that and talk to the engineer about what he was limiting you know if they had gates on things what was affecting that right and i would want to just see straight signal right you know and then kind of dial that in through that that wow. was one of the benefits of of computers that there were a lot of little hidden things that bumped up the game sure as a result now it's a lot of it is cheating because you're fixing things absolutely but, you know. that's yeah the the discipline thing seems to have fallen by the wayside a little bit um, well, it's not necessary. I mean, in in a yeah. lot of respect, it it is if you have, you know, some character about it. But you know, I see more or I hear more stories now of like singers, for example, like saying that if like older singers will do a jingle session with younger singers, and okay, we we finish the the first course, let's do the second course. Well, can't you just cut and paste that? That's what the younger wow. singers will say, and wow. the and the older singers like, don't you guys want to do this? Like, right. so we can. There's that that. Yeah. It, it to me, it never came off like a job like that. It's like, no, I want to do that. I'm I'm here trying to do. So that's interesting, right? Like, we don't have to learn. We don't have to retain so much information because we could literally look up anything we want on a supercomputer that's sitting in our pockets, right? But also in the middle of a conversation, I don't want to have to go look something up because I'm not educated enough to know enough about it to hold a conversation about it. So where do you think the break is with that in music? Like we don't, ha- like you said, we don't have to do a lot of these things. You don't have to sing that second chorus. You don't have to have the ability to play consistently throughout a whole session because they'll just crank the compressor or whatever, you know? Where do you think the line is with that in music? And is that like a very personal thing, just whether you can sleep with, at night with, you know, I think it conscious. is I think it's it's a character conscious. I mean this is back to the sort of philosophical side of, of playing music right. I mean it's it's personality I mean mm-hmm. some people are type A wound up personalities that have a set of things that they can't live with themselves unless it's a certain way yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and those people you'll it shows up in the playing right. usually you'll see it in attention to some detail whether it's the right detail or not, like like we were talking about subdivisions earlier. Right. When I was younger and I didn't have enough concept of the deeper elements of music, that subdivision thing that I heard Dave doing, I really latched onto that. Like yeah. I could see if I work on this enough, I can develop that into something. And 
I, you know, I got to where everything was even. And then I realized once everything was even, it didn't work in all situations. So then I had to unravel it, but then I had to come up with different ways to use the ability for it to be even to also use that ability to make it loose and be conscious of it. The consciousness of it is what made it work in a lot of situations. Okay. So, so you really, but that's are personality. Like, that was like overthinking, like, okay, I've learned this skill. How do I apply it in as many, how do I not force it into something that it's not relevant in? Right. Um, and how do I adapt it? And that to me was very challenging and fun. And then everything in music turned into that. It's like, okay, this works here. Doesn't work here. I don't want to force it. How do I connect the two? So and how then conscious it's artistic. that are you now? Like the, the, um, is it an auto correcting spectrum of consciousness in terms of, you know, you go from Krantz to my gig to the Broadway show you do to Camilo or whatever. That's just, it's totally natural. Or do you, do you find yourself like, Oh shit, I'm on this gig now. Or is it, you, it, is it a natural thing now where you don't have to think about it? It's, it's, if it, it's not that simple. It's more natural than it was. Okay. Like now I can I can usually go into something and listen to what what's going on and, and come up with something relevant that I think would would be correct. Sure. Doesn't mean everybody's going to agree with it. Right. And there are some people in certain styles. It's usually not the real players, but like especially if you go into like like you mentioned the Broadway stuff, I'm like kind of dabbling in some of that. I noticed in that world there are people who write stuff sometimes like they'll write every last little note Mm. and want you to play it it, whether it works or not Mm. and you'll be reading it it's like then i might throw something else in and then they'll come in and go like no 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 you know now if it's something related to what's happening on stage dance thing or whatever that's their thing but if it's just strictly musical like then you kind of get an idea of where somebody's coming from it's like no i wrote this and that's what i want and maybe they're hearing it that way, and that's right. fair. They wrote it, but sometimes it's just like, no, because I wrote it. Right? Don't don't do it's anything. It's an ego to thing. It, it can yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, the reason I ask is one of the the one of the things I try and hit home so much is to get away from thinking in the moment, because mm-hmm. you want to have freedom of expression, right? You want sure. everything to be subconscious and in your muscle memory, mm-hmm. and to be aware, I guess, to react to what's going on around you, mm-hmm. especially in improvised creative situations. So a lot of people ask me, like, well, when does that happen? You know, there's, there's no magic moment, no. right? But, but what you're saying is over time it gets... Well, it's like everything. It's like I, I use the term, there's no lightning bolt that comes out of the sky, right. you know, for pretty much anything. Right, right. I mean, everything... You Unless just, it's coming to kill you. Right. <laughs> Sorry. A, a lot of times, like, you just, one day you kind of, it's kind of like losing weight, right? It's so gradual you don't see it and then one day you wake up and maybe people start hey, did you lose some weight whatever yeah, right. that kind of thing sure you you don't your consciousness is is it's just how it works you know it, so what's gradual. amazing to me with you with a and it's a very few people that i know you've already talked about how like hey this month i'm gonna try this thing like you're at this point in your career with all these hundreds thousands of gigs behind you but still thinking about what the next thing is. Well, what that else is like, there? Okay, great. I'm perfect. I feel yeah. exactly the same. I way. mean, that's like, the thing is like, like, you know, I'm getting older now and it's, it's like, I've, I've looked around at, at the people that, you know, people I went to high school with or people that went in lots of different careers. Yeah. A lot of people wanted to make piles of money and uh-huh. I'd like to make piles of money, but 
they're all kind of searching. I've found, I think my, my concept is that they're all kind of searching for some meaning in something uh-huh. and they think money's going to do it or whatever. Music will do it. Right. You know, it, it may not pay you very much, right. but you'll get this sort of, it's, it's like you've taken on this responsibility of this thing and it gives you this kind of cohesive center. Sure. And it kind of goes from there. And that's very individual and everyone has a different approach to it. And not everybody feels that way. There are plenty of people who just go in and do it as a job and that's fine. Right. You know, but like, I'm, I don't know, that's always meant more to me. And I, I found very few people who play jazz just as a job. I think that's like an extra right. level of commitment, right? Yeah. And but, a lot of, ironically, a lot of times I see the people that don't play jazz and who do it as a job kind of make fun of the jazz people. Right. You know, like, oh, you know, you're playing that gig for a hundred bucks. It's like, yeah. And then you listen to them play. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're making 500, but you are playing Brown Eyed Girl. That's night. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or God knows what else. Well, yeah. What else? Know? But put them on a gig where they really have to, you know, come to the table. Right. And they don't want to. And that's right. totally fine. It's it's a choice. But don't, don't diss it. Right. You know, either side. And has there been a point where you were like, yeah, like that thing of, of where you where you had to do something that you weren't into. Like and you were yeah, like, oh, I mean, shit. I really have to do this. Yeah, I mean it it I mean not you don't have to name names or anything, but like I think a lot of people find themselves at like what they think might be the end of the road, a little bit of a desperate situation, but they don't want to do the thing. Like how do you punch through that? I know I've been there in my life. Mm-hmm. I chose the route of like debt and credit cards over yeah. saying yes to wedding gigs. Looking back, who knows whether that was a good thing or not. It worked for me, but it's different for everyone. Some people well, get stuck on cruise ships or yeah. wedding bands or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I I was, you know, I've been fortunate that most of my life now I'm like the older guy, but I was always the younger guy right, in right, the right. band. And so I would always have a lot of great advice from older people who would tell me, do this, don't do this, right. musically and otherwise, right? Um, I I don't have a family. I don't have, like, there are things financially I don't have to worry about. I mean, sure. my family that I was born into is right. still alive and everything, but um, I don't have a wife and kids and all that. So that's given me a little more freedom to make some choices. And you you also, you, you know, you're alive as a human being. You have to think about money. You have to think about the realities, uh, the realities of life. I'm a little slow from the last <laughs> couple of days. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I've had to, to make choices to do things I didn't want to do. I won't really name them. No, no, not at all. You don't but, have to, but... You know, it's. I always try to tie some meaning into it. Sure. Like when when I was in my teens, I played in a '50s band, for example, okay. in high school, like just by accident. And I was playing five sets a night when like I was 50s in high school. '50s rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. I, and I played, you know, Run Around Sue and all that <laughs> stuff. And I and I remember thinking, oh, this stuff sucks. And uh-huh. I'm, I'm listening to Chick Corea, and I want to, you know, blah blah blah. Yeah. And I I remember at that time like. I, I got so bored. I switched the kid around to play left hand <laughs> on a gig because there's nice. nobody in the club a lot of nights, yeah. right? And I had to be in high school at 7 a.m. the next morning. Oof. I was getting mad. And you know, you've got the energy when yeah. you're that age. But I started doing that and I, I sounded terrible. <laughs> and the guys in the band, it wasn't a strong band yeah. and they were all older than me. And they're like, oh, you can't do that. But I remember just thinking, I have to do, I have to get something out of this. Sure. 
Otherwise, it, it, there's no reason for me to be here, right? right? And I've always kind of thought like that, yeah. even when I was a little kid. So I always apply that. If there's something I, I don't want to do, I try to focus on what it is I'm going to get out of it, that the why I'm doing it, essentially. Right, right, right. Now, if I, if I can't find anything then, and now that happens a lot more, a lot of things come in and I just go like, I'm not going to do that. And it's not sometimes just the music. Sometimes it's the travel situation. Yeah people will will say like yeah i got this great it doesn't pay a lot of money and i want to do it yeah but then they're flying you through 10 different cities on yeah. a crappy Coach. airline or something yeah yeah that kind of stuff like I, I could do that when i was younger but i just i don't want to do that anymore I'm, yeah i'm the same way with that um yeah i just think it's important for people to hear like we can sit here and talk about this insanely great career and being drunk in the back of a carriage with right. dennis and right, right it right. sounds you know, which is also it, it happens yes. like this yeah it, it is awesome uh it's just always i like to try and remind people that like no matter how great the story is there's always going to have been some moment of like oh shit what am i doing the dues were paid let's yeah, yeah. put it that way yeah, yeah and you know anthony told me that years ago he said like you're you're constantly paying dues mm -hmm. in one way or another and then you get to collect somewhere. Right. And then you're back to paying dues. <laughs> and a lot of times the dues are not, you know, a, a lot of people who don't tour necessarily, who haven't toured, don't really realize that what you're really getting paid to do is get on a plane or yeah. a bus at six in the morning. Yeah. And when you get, you know, a hellish day of travel in Europe on a different time zone, whatever, your job is to get to the gig and still sound halfway decent. Exactly. And if it's a big artist, yeah. You know, I've went through this in Japan a bunch of times. You know, you land and you go and play a show at Budokan or yeah. something, and it's all videoed. Yeah, you better sound good, and and functioning under those circumstances is really what the job is. Yeah, Erskine told me that too. Oh yeah, he said I took a couple of lessons with him. He said like, man, no one cares if you had a stinky lunch or if you slept. <laughs> they paid a lot of money to come in and watch right. you play. You better cough it up, and he was right. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Erskine's kind of the dawn at that shit, man. Yeah, Just showing off and like smashing it out of the park. I mean, although that's that's kind of what scares me about the lack of opportunity now to go do that and get those experiences and and pay those dues. That as as a as a freelance musician, it seems like everyone can be an artist now mm -hmm. and everyone can do their own thing. But that kind of like picking up that experience because I know, like, as you tell that story of like flying to Japan, getting off the off the train getting off the plane and going to play in the budokan and being on a hundred percent i see that when we walk in the studio to play my music in fucking argentina on the other end of the world like i don't think about it mm -hmm. i absolutely expect it because i know you you mm -hmm. know and it, it's just yeah i worry about how to uh convey that message to people sometimes and say like hey you should take some of these things that are maybe not optimal just to give yourself this experience so, so you know i feel like there's very little that can beat me down in a musical situation now you know what i mean yeah and that's well, a nice confidence to have to walk into any situation and feel like i'm good like no matter what happens well good. that's the dues right you, you spent so many years doing that and you're right that that's the part i was talking about earlier this for lack of a better term the the generations of people coming up now right. don't are not necessarily going to have to ex or get to experience right. that. And it doesn't look when you're on the other end of it, paying the dues, yeah. it's like, I'm not getting, you just get mad. It's like, right, right. <laughs> but then after so many years go by, you look back and go like, wow, yeah. 
I can do, you know, and I, you see other people struggling around you, yeah. you know. Also, I got to say that there's a work ethic thing to that that kind of corresponds to what we were just talking 100%. about too. You know, you have to be, you have to be kind of a maniac to sit down for eight hours and focus on an instrument on minute details yes. and keep working them over and over. I mean, that's the not, sheer willpower alone mm -hmm. has to be yeah. very, very high. It's not a, what a sane person right, would right, do right. in a lot of cases, but and and it doesn't just stop at music. It usually the whole life has got a version of that, you know. So yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> and I've met him and played with him, and and you know all all the heroes that I've met and played with have some version of that. Well, let's let's talk. We can't get away without talking about the the most professorial of them all. The very stately, the legendary, my hero since I knew what the bass guitar was is obviously Anthony Jackson. And Me too. Yeah. So that's got to be like walking into that for the first time has to be quite special. Special's not the word I would use. It was okay. it's terrifying. Ter <laughs> well, that's I mean, good. So you're human. This is awesome. It's so, it's, I have such an interest. In, no, I don't know how interesting it is, but my, my uh, first meeting with him ironically was not with michelle i'd heard about him they weren't michelle was using upright when oh, i got okay. the gig anthony wasn't doing it there was a guy named john sari who was oh, in new york piano player composer i i don't know remember what happened to him but he's a brilliant musician okay. and he had a gig and and it was me and ralph bowen and him oh, yeah. And it was some tiny club in New York. It was one of the only gigs I was I had done or I was going to do in New York other than Michelle's. Wow. And I walk in and, and Anthony was gonna play bass. Whoa. And it was a, a small room, you know, a little <laughs> bigger than this. And um I'm sitting at the drums and here comes Anthony. And uh he's sitting in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah, early nineties, you know. <laughs> takes the bass <laughs> out and i'm sitting there adjusting do i talk to this right, guy it's right. like i saw you without demiola when i was in eighth grade <laughs> you know i'm like <laughs> and and uh i made, kind of made eye, eye contact and i said hi i'm cliff and he goes anthony <laughs> right played um seemed you know he was he was very sort of stoic and yep. kind of quiet which he was but true then, to brand and, yeah and then <laughs> Uh, I didn't really get to talk to him. I didn't. I remember walking away from the gig not knowing what he thought about it. Dude, isn't that one of the toughest feelings? That's terrible. The first time you play with someone. Yeah, it's terrible. I, have a, I only have a couple like that, but really, just like go back to the hotel and like, oh shit. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also, you know, the, you're looking for some sort of reaction and yeah, and, or validation, anything. Yeah. Just like. Tell me I don't suck. You yeah. know what I mean? Don't tell me I'm great or anything. Just tell me I don't suck. You yeah. Know? Or, you know, I, there was one guy we used to make jokes about in San Diego who would go, you'd finish a gig and he was a great musician. He'd go, yeah. <laughs> wow. And you just never knew. Never knew. Yeah. Anyway, that, you know, I did this gig and left there not thinking, not knowing. Then Michelle was going to use Anthony, put this thing back together with Dave. It was like a, tri oh. a trio reunion thing. And then I started subbing. And I got in the car in Santa Domingo. We were oh, yeah. going to do the first gig in Santa Domingo. And oh. I was on a different flight. Anthony gets in the car and turns around. He's like, hey, man, how you doing? Like, oh, like an entirely different personality wow. than I ever even knew. And from that point on, like he was just 
normal, like the it's sweetest awesome. person. Yeah. And then he recommended me for things. And one of the, probably, honestly, the, the highlight of my life as a musician was something that Anthony had to do with when I was at MI in my late teens and the cover of Modern Drummer was Weckl. Uh -huh. Right. This is right when Dave had exploded. Right. Reading this article. It's an interview in there. Like the article starts out with them interviewing Dave Matthews, the, the uh, pianist, piano player, yeah, yeah, yeah. king of the jingles and things right. in New York. And with the, with the little hat. With the, the hat. hat right? yeah. Well, ironically, I ended up playing with years later. Oh, but, you did? <laughs> yeah. And I, I was reading this, and, and the first thing the interviewer says is like, um, how tough is it is for somebody to come out of town and come to New York and get into the scene? And Dave Matthews says, it's, it's not possible. It's just impossible. <laughs> There's too many bubble. And just like, this is the concept. Yeah. And then the guy says, what about Dave Wackel? Uh -huh. And Matthews says, well, that's a different scene because I remember Anthony Jackson coming around and saying, I just played with one of the best drummers I've heard in a long time and you guys better call him um, and get him for stuff or you're going to miss like he's going to, somebody else is going to call him and you're going to be pissed. Wow. Right. So I remember reading this and fine. Five years later, I found out that he gave me the same recommendation to a Japanese artist, Akiko Yano that we oh, ended yeah, up playing yeah, yeah. with. And when I heard that, like I almost broke down in tears because wow. it was like that, that phrase stuck in my head for years. That's huge. And yeah, and I like, I mean, just to hear it, you know, Still, it, it kind of makes me a little emotional because yeah. he got me in on so many things. He's met my family. He's, you know, I say this, I haven't been in touch with them in a long time and I feel terrible about that. I need to reach out to Anthony, but it's, uh, that is just like one of the biggest figures in my life, That's musically amazing. and otherwise. And I learned so much just, and he's, you're not talking about a stupid guy oh, here. No. I mean, just forget about the, the bass. charts. Yeah. Forget about music yeah. and the bass. The guy, that's why science. I say professorial. Yeah. He is the professor. He like, is. For real. He is. And he's a really, really sweet person. Yeah. He yeah. has this huge outer shell. Yeah. You know, and I mean, musically, God, it's just, it's super deep. You can't he just even happens explain to it. play the bass, you know, the, yeah. everything else that's going on. Is, and the mutes and, yeah. you know, when you're playing a kick drum and he hits the mute, it's, it's like a sequencer. I've yeah. never, <laughs> it's just, and, and it's, it's weird when I talk about it because I, you know, I'm, I'm real kind of wise ass type person. And when I get to know somebody, I'm like constantly, and I, yep. I would make fun of him and we would go back and forth at sound checks and I was, you know, imitating him and doing all kinds of stuff. And, you know, and he would, it was but it's he he's like an honor to be associated with somebody yeah. like that one person like that in your whole life can change everything and that's For what he did amazing what a great place to end this very positive um you're a man dude thank you thank you man thanks for having me i'm yeah. glad uh we could do this yeah night watch that's the album we just did just did back in august just September. Did. cliff sitting in front of the poster that was like four months ago uh, you're right it feels like a year and a half. It feels like I should have done two more records since then. Like, I'm dying. Wow. Like, we got to go back. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Not to Argentina, but I think maybe Japan this time. That'd be great. Yeah, go Man. do it. Maybe a live album out there. Um, drop some comments uh, below the video if you're watching on YouTube. Um, or if you're not watching on YouTube, go watch on YouTube. Drop some comments and uh, let us know where you would like us to play. There should be some touring towards the end of the year with the trio with Sir Thomas. 
of Corley. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's it. Appreciate you guys watching. See you on the next one. Thanks. Thanks.